When we are born again, there is a great fire and an excitement that comes upon us. And we want to read the Bible and we want to know things of God. Along the way, I have found very often, I pick up my Bible to read and I feel dead. I really don't even want to read and the words I read are just words. That happens to each one of us, I'm sure. And not just one time. It We have to fight the fight of faith to hold on. How do we fight? I think there are basically two ways, perhaps three, that we use in a time like that when we just don't want to read the Bible and it has no meaning for us and it's just words and we find even as we read we're thinking about something else here is what is happening Jesus said especially at the end times the love of many would grow cold and I believe that's the love of many for the word of God that the word of God would grow cold to them. All of a sudden, it would be basically meaningless. They would try to read and would not be able to. And he says this happens because iniquity abounds. It definitely abounds on the television. As never before, we see iniquity abounding in front of our eyes especially in the current advertisements and current productions there are certainly other things that can cause the word of God to grow cold Jesus warned us as we come toward the end of the time, that we have to watch ourselves. We have to beware of surfeiting, which is overindulgence. And other things. We can stop and look at that. It's in Luke 21. Start at verse 34. And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting, that means overindulgence in something, and drunkenness and cares of this life. And so that day of the Lord come upon you unawares. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore, watch yourselves, watch yourselves, watch how you are feeling. When you first start feeling that coldness 
toward the Word of God come upon you. That's the time to take action. Watch ye therefore and pray always. That's when you turn to God strongly. Please don't let this happen to me. Please don't let me get cold toward things of God. Please light a spark under me. Pray always. The prayer is the thing that connects us to God. So pray always because that prayer makes you be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. It's a little bit like a marriage. At first, at the honeymoon, isn't there an overwhelming excitement? But then you have to live life. So often, you'll hear people say, well, I just fell out of love with her. Or you'll hear her say, I just fell out of love with him. They didn't work. They didn't keep that spark alive. And the same thing can happen with the Word of God. Listen to what Paul said about this. For when we read this section of Scripture, we can tell that Paul knew he could be a castaway, and he had to work at staying in the faith. Start at verse 24 of 1 Corinthians 9. Paul says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all? But one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore run not as uncertainty, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul knew he could be a castaway, what did he tell us? He kept his own body under control and brought it in to subjection of the Spirit of God, lest that by any means, when he had preached to others, he would be a castaway. We have to work at this. We have to work at it continually to keep the fire of the Word of God burning in us. One of the primary ways that we have that fire burning is to share what God has done with other people, not to share where we go to church. That would be the worst thing to do. All that shows is that you are worshiping your church. I had a woman 
who said to me, Oh, the pastor preached such a wonderful sermon on Sunday. I looked at her and she said, He is so intellectual, I didn't understand a word he was saying. I thought, man, that woman's lost. Because if you like that kind of thing, you're really off base. The Apostle Paul said, if the trumpet doesn't sound a clear message, how will you know when to charge? Those ministers from the pulpit should be speaking a very strong message from God. We have to keep our bodies under control and bring them into subjection. I think overindulgence is a serious problem. We can watch too much television until we just get so bored that we're spinning our wheels and we become dead, certainly dead to things of God. We can do too much visiting with people. And before you know it, we're all just kind of boasting and making up things. Hasn't that ever happened to you? That's called surfeiting, and Jesus warns us about it, overindulgence. He warns us about the cares of this life. What are we supposed to do? When we are troubled, what are we supposed to do? Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, connecting with God in prayer on all things. Is there anything that concerns you? Is there anything that you are troubled about thinking this might happen tomorrow or next year? a fear, a dread. You're in serious need of prayer, if that's the case. We keep ourselves daily in peace, constantly in peace, by taking every fearful thought to God. If you fail to do that, I believe you will be swept away. I believe I will be swept away if we forget to do that. It's that critical, especially during these days in which we live. There are many things that can cause us to forget God. And if we practice forgetting God, He can turn us over to a reprobate mind. And that's the exact reason people are turned over to a reprobate mind is because they 
fail to keep God in their knowledge. They fail to pray about what they were thinking of doing. They failed to allow God to establish their thoughts through prayer. Romans chapter 1. Start at verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. They did not like to retain God in their knowledge. They wanted to do their own plans. They wanted to do their own wisdom. They wanted people to admire them for what they did. I have seen this over and over. I don't want to do anything of my own wisdom. I really don't. If you do things of your own wisdom and people praise you, you get all puffed up in yourself. I want them to praise God. I want my wisdom to come from God because I know it's going to work. Selfishly, I know it's going to work. But also, I want to be able to say, God is the one who showed me to do this. Now, they don't want to hear that. I have a, an acquaintance in Dallas, a Catholic woman, who hates hearing that. God would show me to do something, and I would do it, and she would say, that is wonderful. Why, that was a great idea. And I will say, God gave me that idea. She doesn't want to hear that. And I have heard her more than one time be telling other people what I had done, what great thing I had done. And I would interrupt her and say, no, God gave me that idea. I, he's the one who showed me to do that. It wasn't me. Basically, no one wants to hear that. And these people all call themselves Christians, and they didn't want to hear that. But I didn't care. I told them anyway. See, if you don't want to keep God in your knowledge and you want people to praise you for your wisdom and your works, you're in danger, great danger. You're probably already swept away. Matter of fact, I doubt you're continuing to listen to me. But there are some of you who are like I am. You don't want to be praised. You want God to be praised. Well, those who didn't want to retain God in their knowledge were turned over to a reprobate mind. I believe I have seen it in our little church group one time. This woman had been with us 39 years before she exploded and railed out at me. She started out really wanting to know things of God. She had many, there were many times that I had evidence that she was really following God and that she was seeking God and was excited about God. But along the way, she got cold. It got to the point when I would 
call her to share something with God, of God with her, I could hear dead silence from her. She wasn't interested in that. But if I began to talk about a television show, she came alive, and she jumped into the conversation and began to tell me what the certain actor or actress had done. She'd been reading up on it. That's where her heart was, not with things of God. Well, eventually, she exploded and railed out against me, and she's no longer with us. Though I gave her multiple opportunities to return, but she didn't. I gave her multiple opportunities to repent of what she did, but she didn't choose to do that. So she's not with us. I believe she was turned over to a reprobate mind. And I know it can happen. We have to keep that fire for God burning in our hearts. And we keep it burning by begging God to help us. When we feel we're not really interested in that scripture that we're trying to read. Or we're not really interested in hearing about things of God. There's a very interesting example in the Old Testament. It's of King Asa, king of Judah. He started out wonderfully. He was a great king at the beginning. This story is in 1 Chronicles 14, 15, 16. And Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. For he took away the altars of the strange gods and the high places, and he brake down the images and cut down the groves and commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to do the law and the commandments of God. He destroyed the idols that the people had set up. And that for that reason, he did right in the sight of God. Today we destroy their idols when we speak of their idols. An idol has no power. There is absolutely no power in crossing yourself. An idol has no power to good, do good or evil. It's a dead piece of wood. It's a dead piece of wood carved into a cross. It's a dead piece of molten ceramic made into the image of a man, made by the hands of men. Don't fall down and worship those idols and say things in front of those idols. It's a rosary, not in the Bible. Foolishness. Horrible things, trusting in things that are not God. It's ministers who call themselves reverend when no one in the Bible ever called himself reverend. Not one man in the Bible ever called himself reverend. But they want to be great. They want to be idols in front of your eyes. I would never go to a church where a man called himself reverend. 
This is a terrible thing to do. He sets himself up as an idol, and he becomes worshipped by his congregation as they go away and say, Oh, he spoke such a wonderful message. I didn't understand a word. And they think that's great. These are idols. Candles, when you pray, lighting candles when you pray, there is no power in that because it is not in the Bible to do such a thing. These people added their idols to the worship service. They added their idols to the Bible. If you do these things, you're trusting in the idol they set up. And you think you're trusting in God. They do many idols today in both the Catholic and Protestant churches. We who cut these things down by speaking of the idols, I have no doubt we'll be blessed by God because these things are not of God. You show them to me in the New Testament Bible. And that will make a difference. But I have read the New Testament many times. And I know these things are not in the Bible. There was a man in our little church group years ago. He went to some kind of church gathering and he came back and told us, Oh, this was wonderful. Just wonderful. I said to him, finally, I woke up and said, well, what was so wonderful about that gathering? And he said, oh, at the head of the table, they had three big crosses covered with flowers. Oh, well, that man's not with us anymore. He was worshiping idols. That impressed him. The things he could see with his natural eyes impressed him. There's a passage in uh, 1 Timothy 6 where, Tim, where Paul warns the church, if any man thinks gain is a sign of godliness, withdraw yourself from him. If he thinks because you have gained riches or possessions it's a sign of godliness, get away from him. For godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's for sure we can carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, let us there be with be content. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which some who followed after have caused many problems to come to themselves and have departed from the faith. And he says, flee these things. That's all in First Timothy chapter 6, a warning. The Bible is filled with warnings for us to take heed to these warnings. When you see a warning, stop. Consider the warning. Turn from the thing. Put yourself in the right course. For destruction will come upon you if you continue in that direction against the warning given us by God. Back to the story of King Asa. 
He tore down all the idols of the land, and he commanded that the people seek the Lord. An enemy came up against Asa, and he called on God for help. The army of the enemy greatly outnumbered the army of Israel. And Asa cried unto the Lord his God, and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on thee, and in thy name we go against this multitude. O Lord, thou art our God. Let no man prevail against thee. That's verse 11 of Second Chronicles 14. It will come as no surprise that Asa's army won out over the other army. And God gave them peace in the land because they turned to him. But when an enemy arose against them, they turned to God and God overcame the enemy. It's just like us today. We turn to God, and he shows us the way to go, and we have peace, and we go in that direction, and then all of a sudden a problem arises, often an unexpected problem. And we cry out to God, and he shows us what to do, and it works. That's the path that we go on. And then we have peace again. So it's the same as Asa. But there was a problem. Asa didn't do that to the end of his life. He made a change along the way. God even sent him a message from the prophet to warn him. Because he was in danger. But he went the wrong way in spite of the message. But God gave him a chance. He gave him a message. I'm giving you a message telling you turn from the way of trusting in men. But I can't make you do that. I can't make anyone do that. All I can do is give the message and try to heed the message myself because I always know I'm in danger. So the prophet comes to Asa and says, The Lord is with you while ye be with him. And if you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. He'll let you go in your own way if you want to do so. Verse 4 tells us, but when they in their trouble did turn unto the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found of them. The main problem is they stopped doing that. They began going in their own wisdom. At first, when the prophet spoke to Asa, they took action, positive action. 
And when Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Oded the prophet, he took courage, and he put away the abominable idols out of all the land of Judah and Benjamin, and out of the cities which he had taken from Mount Ephraim, and renewed the altar of the Lord that was before the porch of the Lord. Remember that reprobate mind which God turns us over to if we fail to keep him in our memory? God is going to turn to man for help. I mean, Asa is going to turn to man for help rather than turning to God. This is in Second Chronicles chapter 16. In the sixth and thirtieth year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah to the intent that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Remember, it's a divided kingdom. There's the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. And the king of Israel is going to try to keep his followers to himself and not let them go up to Jerusalem. Now, what did Asa do at that point? Well, he stopped calling on God. Verse 2, Then Asa brought out silver and gold out of the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house, and with the money he sent to Behenadad, king of Syria, asking him to come and help him fight against Israel. That was his first mistake. That's the first recorded mistake made by Asa. Instead of turning to God for help, he turned to other humans. And that really was the beginning of his downfall. And it would be the beginning of our downfall if we do that. We have to turn to God. Then if he tells us to go to someone else for help, we can do that in comfort and in faith. But if we just panic and reach out to another human, that's wrong. That is wrong to do that. At the end of his life, Asa got a disease in his feet. And he ended up dying. But even when he got the disease in his feet, he made the wrong decision. Instead of seeking God, he turned to his physicians. It is fine to go to a doctor if you've turned to God and you feel that's what you should do after turning to God, but to just panic and turn to a physician is a very foolish way to go when you call yourself a Christian. We've had the most visible example of this type of thing with this virus 
that came in March of 2020 to the United States. It was all over the world, and then it reached us. I was just shocked that people were rushing to these places to be examined to see if they had the virus. As It is my understanding at that point in time, there was no treatment for the virus. There was no way to stop the virus. Now, they started working on a vaccine, but they didn't have it at the moment in March 2020 when these long lines were forming up on parking lots and people went to be tested simply to hear, do you have the virus? When there's no treatment. They finally got in such a bind that the government began saying, just stay home unless you are really serious. Because thousands were doing this. During that time, Pam Paget, with whom I live uh, at this point in time, I'm 82, and she took me in to her home to live after I had an accident. She had gone to downtown Colorado Springs for something, and she came back and told me, she said, I can't believe this is happening. Snow is on the ground, it's cold out there, and these people are lined up on a parking lot to take tests to see if they have that virus. People have gone completely crazy over this medical thing. It's one thing if you break an arm and you know they can set the arm and help you, but these things that you don't even know if they can treat, and in some cases we know they don't have a treatment for them. That is incredible to do that, especially if you're Christians. Turn to God first and ask him what to do. Well, in all things, that's what we should do. But Asa didn't do that. He turned instead to his physicians, and it was his final downfall. He died. But back before this happened, a prophet, another prophet was sent to Asa. And I want to share with you what that prophet said to him. Because thou hast relied on the king of Syria and hast not relied on the Lord thy God, therefore is the host of the king of Syria escaped out of thy hand. And the prophet reminds him of the time the Ethiopians arose against him, and he turned to God, and God defeated the Ethiopians, although they had many more in their army. Oftentimes, to restore us, God will remind us of the things he has done in the past to help us. And then the prophet said to him, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Herein you have done foolishly, Therefore, from henceforth thou shalt have wars. The peace was gone. That was the penalty put upon Asa for his action. Don't make a mistake, because penalties definitely are pronounced, even today, upon wrongdoers. I have had to pronounce penalties upon some ministers who have done things. 
and the penalties have come to pass. Robert Tilton is one. Robert Tilton killed a prophet. She was a prophet from his own church. He invited her to be on his TV talk show. Just before they went on camera, he said, Ava, there's just one thing. Don't say anything about being a prophet because it's not popular. After the TV show, Ava called me in tears. I told Bob, because you've done this thing, your house will be left unto you desolate. That's from Matthew 23, over killing prophets. It was a penalty. That was in 1982. By 1991, his whole house had fallen. He had become an expose for ABC Primetime Live. He and his first wife were divorced. He married a second wife. She sued him, and they divorced. He married a third wife. His whole church building was eventually torn down. Some of his followers sued him in a court of law. It's a shameful thing. What happened? He went to Florida, from Dallas to Florida, and tried to set up a ministry there. He finally sold that ministry, it said, in Wikipedia, and he moved to Culver City, California, and bought a hotel. And there he was said to be having church at the hotel. But when an investigative reporter tried to attend the church, he found the church was only about six people that met in a conference room and it had nothing at all to do about religion. When they found out he was a reporter, they escorted him out of the room and told him not to come back. That was the demise of Robert Tilton. But I definitely presented the penalty that was upon him. I presented the penalty in 1982 and in the subsequent years, the penalty came to pass. His house was left unto him desolate by 1991. That's what prophets do. Sometimes they are sent to pre present a penalty, and sometimes they are present to warn you. They are sent to warn you of what you're doing. I was invited to speak to a small church group one time in San Angelo, Texas. The pastor called for a prayer line and he asked me to go down it and pray for people. I got to this one woman and I said, and what is this you want God to do for you? She says, I just wants more of the Lord. And I said to her, now God will tell me what you are doing. She got deadly quiet, and then she screamed with her arms waving in the air, Oh, no, Lord, don't tell her. The people just roared with laughter. Everybody knew what this woman was doing, and she's trying to fool God. Well, I think that broke up that church meeting. Every one of the scriptures I've spoken today are going to be printed on our blog. If you will go to our blog, Jesus Ministries 
exhortations, you will find these scriptures under the podcast listing on the right-hand side of the page. Tap on podcast. It will bring up all of these recordings. Find the recording that you wish to check and all the scriptures will be there for you. This recording is entitled Christians Starting the Race but then forgetting to seek God along the way. Again, the blog is Jesus Ministries Exhortations. Thank you for allowing me to speak to you today.